Thank you so much. And it's great to be with you this morning uh, as we look at this new series we're going to be starting today in Luke's Gospel as we prepare uh, as a church uh, for the coming of Jesus. We're kind of preparing, retracing the steps of the church as it awaited the birth of Jesus. And we're going to start in Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I want to talk today about how to live a life of purpose. How to live a life of purpose. One of the things that's probably common to all of us here, common to all people, is that generally speaking, we want to live lives which have meaning, lives filled with purpose. We want to live lives which are significant and make an impact. So often we look for purpose. We search for it. We long to find it. We long to get to the end of a day, a week, a month, a year, and say, that was a life where I lived with purpose. And generally speaking, we look for it in one of two ways. We, we either try and follow people's expectations, maybe follow the crowd, maybe follow what everyone else seems to be seeking, saying, well, that must be the purpose that's mapped out for me. Maybe it's, it's success in a career or popularity or some kind of status or finding the perfect relationships or finding those really you know, wonderful life experiences that fit perfectly on your Instagram grid, you know, wherever they might be. It could be any number of those things, but sometimes it feels like a purpose is mapped out for you, and your job is to kind of follow it. That um, you just got to follow the crowd. And I, I went to quite a rough school, and I think our school had slightly given up on careers advice, and so uh, what you got in your final year was you had to come into a room, and there was a computer there, and just one kind of assistant to this computer, and they said, take your test, and it will tell you what you're going to be. You'd be like, oh, okay. So you kind of answer these 50 questions. Um, and one of the questions was, do you like being outside? And I thought, yeah, I do quite like being outside. Yeah, so I took that one and went through the whole question. And then it kind of printed off a page. And it basically said, you know, congratulations, you should become a tree surgeon. And I was like, oh, I mean, that's a great job, but I, I don't really want to be a tree surgeon. And I kind of looked at the assistant and I said, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure I want to be a tree surgeon. The computer says, you should be a tree surgeon. <laughs> And I said, yeah, I know, but um, I, I, kind of, I kind of wanted to be a lawyer. And, like, oh. and so they looked at it and they said, lawyers work inside. 
And I was, yeah, and I do like being outside, but I don't want to be outside forever. Like, I do, I don't, I mean, I, I have a house. I live in a house, you know. And they were like, okay, well, why, why, do you, why, why do you want to be, a, lawyers have to go to university. And I was like, yes, yeah, I'd, I'd quite like to go to university. They go, do you think you're clever enough to go to university? And I was like, oh, um, uh, we're kind of in an interesting conversation here. Like, and so I said, can I take the test again? And they're like, oh, my goodness me. So I kind of felt like I had to rebel by going to university. Like that tells you a little bit about the era I grew up. I felt like I was kind of rebelling from the path that was set out for me. Lovely that it would have been to be a tree surgeon by making the decision to go to university. So then if you're like me, you kind of rebel against what your, people's expectations are. You think, no, I'll take another path. I'll forge my own destiny. I'll plan my own path. I'll, I'll, I'm going to create... An imagine something entirely different and just take you know my own alternative distinctive purpose and go after that and that's good too none of these things are bad but the problem with that is if you're just kind of making it up yourself then you can sometimes feel like well maybe this is it maybe this isn't it on a good day you think okay I found my purpose everything's going well on a really bad day you think maybe it's somewhere else you know, maybe I should have done something else. Maybe I should have been something else. It can be really hard to settle, to build, to commit, to put down roots. And there's this kind of constant low-level anxiety, like, is this what I was made for? How would I know? But what if there was a third option? You didn't just have to kind of conform, and you didn't just have to rebel. But there was, perhaps, what if there was a purpose that could be found, that could be discovered, a purpose that had been forged for you by the one who made you, the one who knew your end from the beginning and created you, knit you together with a particular purpose in mind, and you could discover it. You could unfold it. You could see it come to pass. And that's exactly what this passage speaks to. And the first thing we see in this passage is that trust enables purpose. You know, trust in God's favor for you Trusting God's presence with you enables purpose in your life to take shape. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can run into the mistake of kind of that, that habit of thinking, God probably knows a purpose for my life, but he's not going to tell me. Like, it's like, I just have to guess. It's like I'm kind of looking at God. He's got a good poker face. Like, is this the way I should go? Is that a smile or a frown? I can't tell. Or is this the way I should go? It's like you're kind of just trying to guess it, but it, feels, it can feel like, well, am I just guessing it? Is this something you're going to tell me? But without trusting that God made you for a purpose, that your life has a meaning, it's really hard to start to discover your purpose. And it's also hard when, when your life feels a little bit contested. Maybe when you hit a really difficult situation. Maybe when something happens and it knocks you completely off course and you feel like, well, I, I felt my life had a purpose here, but now this has happened. I feel all at sea. You know, when, when you start to question your significance, when you might start to doubt God's purpose for your life, maybe when you doubt yourself. And Mary was very young. She was a teenager and came from a relatively poor background. She was uneducated. Uh, she, she couldn't read, most likely. Uh, she was living in an apparently pretty insignificant place. It was known as quite a rough northern town. And the other towns around it kind of looked down on it. And, and she was kind of living in this environment. And there wasn't knots about her life that looked particularly promising or looked like it might have particular purpose. But then this angel comes to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And I think that's remarkable. Because it doesn't look like her life has favor. But Lord says, 
she's highly favored. That you could be in a place where everything seems ordinary and yet know his extraordinary favor. You could be in a place where it feels like your purposes are being frustrated and yet still be in a place of his favor. You could be facing the most difficult situation in your life, which you might be today. And yet the Lord could say, you are highly favored. And I find this remarkable because Mary could respond in any number of ways. She's told she's going to bear the Savior of the world in her womb. And she could say, I don't believe it. She could say, uh, that's a bit much for me. I'm just a young girl from Nazareth. She could say, um, well, wait a minute. Uh, why don't you just go and ask someone else? <laughs> you know, it's a lot to take on board. But what she says with remarkable trust the only thing she questions is how. And to be honest, that's a good question. No one's got pregnant while being a virgin before. That's a good question. You know, how's it going to happen? But she doesn't doubt that it will. And she had found favor. She pl- remarkable trust in God about what God says about her, about her purpose, that it's more that what God says about her, God's favor for her is more important than her circumstances, her background, her limitations, her family, her locations, or even what she thinks about herself. You are highly favored. What if you can believe that today? It says in 2 Corinthians 6, this is the day of the Lord's favor. What was particularly true for Mary, then, is generally true for us today. Why don't you try that on next kind of dinner party or party you go to? You know, you know when people say, you know, oh, what's your name, where are you from? And then they can't really think of another question and say, what do you do? Why don't you try saying, oh, I just receive the Lord's favor wherever I go, you know? <laughs> what do you do, you know? That would be an interesting way to respond. You should mention that to your boss in your next one-to-one, you know, performance appraisal. <laughs> so, like, you know, I hope you realize you're getting quite a good deal because you've got me with all my skills and capabilities and experience, and also you've got the favor that is you know, resting on me right now, um, and you're going you're gonna to benefit by that by a side wind, and I think you should just take that into account when you're considering my pay. <laughs> See how that goes. Do you believe that the Lord's favor is for you? And do you believe that because of that, he is with you, and he has a purpose for your life? Whether you're facing a joyful experience at the moment, or whether you're walking through the most difficult valley in your life. When I worked as a criminal lawyer, there were a number of times where I felt like I had the Lord's favor. Um, you know, when I had my interview at that particular chambers, there was another guy called Steve, which I just thought, well, that is a bullseye. Like, there's a guy called Steve in the interview, and I'm called Steve. That's amazing. Um, and I kind of love that. And, you know, and as I went through my job, there were a number of times I thought, oh, this is great. I can really feel the Lord's hand on me. But then I hit this one case when I was still quite junior, and it was something about, it's often quite hard to work out why this is, but, you know, I loved, you know, trials are called trials for a reason. They're a trial for everyone involved. They're a trial for the defendant. Their liberty's at stake. They're a trial for the judge. They've got to get it right. And, you know, I'll just take up my violin. Bear with me. They're a trial for the lawyers, too. You know, they're <laughs> really hard for them. And... Um, and this trial is like hard for every single day. And what, something about the unique mix of the circumstances, the facts, the, it, just this pressure started to build. And it wasn't something I'd experienced before, and this pressure was building, building. And I started to feel quite stressed. Um, and normally I'm quite an optimist in life, but I started to kind of get a little bit kind of 
anxious even about this case. And I, it was almost like I could feel the pressure build. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life, maybe in a relationship or in a workplace or in a situation with your family, maybe around Christmas with your extended family. You felt the pressure build tangibly in the room. And I started to feel that. started to affect even the way my body felt. And I, what I noticed for the first time in my life, I started to have difficulty sleeping. And one night in particular, I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I don't know if you've ever done this. 2 o'clock in the morning is a bad time to wake up. Sometimes we call it a fun time to go to sleep. It's a bad time to wake up. And I was suddenly sat up in bed. And it's dark. House is silent. And all these kind of irrational thoughts, like kind of almost like fears, started appearing in my mind. Like I started to think, well, you know, maybe I'm a bit underqualified for this. Maybe I did grow up on the wrong side of the tracks. Who am I kidding that I can actually do this job? What if I lose and I'm humiliated? What if people think less of me? You know, this, this, this guy's life is in my hands. What if it all goes wrong? Maybe I should have been a tree surgeon. <laughs> and I thought, well, no, you just pray. So I tried to pray. I said, God, you know, I just asked, you know, give me your peace and comfort. And then another voice came in, which I hadn't really experienced before, saying, are you sure God really hears your prayer? Are you sure God really exists? Like you're putting quite a lot of confidence in this whole faith thing. Like if that's not there, you're a bit exposed, aren't you? And I was like, that's a good point. <laughs> I am a bit exposed. But I'm sure God's there. Are you really sure God's there? I'm sure God's there. I think. And I kind of got out of bed and I was kind of walking around the house thinking, this feels different to anything I've ever experienced in my life before. And you know, the, I slept really badly, worst night's sleep of my life. Woke up the next day, was going into work, and I was just kind of praying. And I suddenly felt the Lord kind of nudge me and say, do you think you came this far on your own? And I was like, what? It's not a, it's like, <laughs> so the Lord was like, you didn't. Um, <laughs> And I said, like, oh, no, yeah. And he said, who brought you this far? I was like, oh, you did? Yes. And if I brought you here, I'm not going to leave you here on your own. I'm with you. And you know what? I'm not just with you. I'm in you. You know, I have come to dwell within you. So you're not facing any of this stuff on your own. I'm as real to you today as I ever have been. And I went through this case, um, and it's not that significant. It was at the time. I mean, the guy was acquitted, which is, you know, praise the Lord. But I, at the end of it, I, tell you, I went through that trial, and it literally felt like the biggest challenge I had ever faced in my life. I look back on it now as a time of great favor. You know, just because you're facing challenge doesn't mean that God's favor is not for you, because he is with you and he is in you. He's in you. I mean, Mary, in a unique, physical way, bore God in her womb. The early church called her Theotokos, the one who bore God. She carried in her womb the one who thought up and formed her womb. She who was created carried her creator. 
You know, but in just as real a spiritual sense, when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, God by his spirit comes to dwell in you. He has made you his home. He has made you his dwelling. He has made you the place where he longs to be. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus takes up residence within you. You carry in you the one who made you and he has committed to you because he's made his dwelling in you. So when you hit a difficult time or a fork in the road or you're not sure if what you're doing is the right purpose for your life or you hit an obstacle or a great disappointment or a tragedy or something like that and you start to doubt God's favor in your life, God's purpose for your life, remember he's there. He hasn't given up on you and he hasn't given up on your life. And he can turn even of the hardest things to his glory and to your good because he has committed you. I mean, sometimes we think about purpose as a kind of destination that we're seeking. If your purpose is not a destination you search for, but a design you discover, And it's a design that the designer who dwells within you longs to reveal to you. And that's really important. Sometimes it feels a little bit like you're searching in the dark and you're kind of wandering around and you're kind of like, is this my purpose? I feel a bit confused now. Everything's gone a bit dark. I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe it's a really difficult situation. Maybe you're just confused. You're like, should I be a tree surgeon? Should I be a lawyer? Should I be something else entirely? And you know, you end, you're not sure what to do, so you go on your iPhone and you're just searching through Google. Maybe you try an online questionnaire. What should I do with my life? What's my purpose? Um, anyone here tried that? Yeah, oh, wonderful, brilliant, that's great to know. No judgment at all in that. Um, But it's not necessarily the most productive way of deciding what you're going to do with your life, although it is helpful at times. And you're kind of searching with your iPhone, but you can't really see, and you're not sure if you've ever found it. But when you know that that God who created you, who designed you, has come to live within you, that changes things. Because then you're not just wandering around thinking, am I kind of finding my purpose? You have the Spirit of God within you, guiding you. God, the one who designed you, hasn't given up on you, and he's got a purpose for your life. But not only that. You know, sometimes people say to me, uh, Mary had an angel. Like, if God sent an angel to me, obviously I'd know what my purpose was. <laughs> it's not really a fair comparison, Steve. Like, I don't have an angel. Maybe you do have an angel. Not everyone has an angel. Um, But do you have a Bible? Can you read? Even a little bit? Mary didn't have the New Testament. She couldn't read. The only Bible she knew, she'd learned by memory. But when you have the Bible... And the spirit who inspired those words of scripture to be written. And then takes them and applies them to your heart and your life and your purpose and your meaning and your destiny. And isn't separate from you, but is with you every day, guiding you, steering you, prompting you, amplifying things in his word. Steering you this way, steering you that way. Saying hi to the people in the top. Hi to the people on the balcony. <laughs> Very hard to leave in this kind of searchlight. You know, then, then you know. 
Actually, you don't have to be anxious about finding your purpose. You don't have to be nervous about it. You don't have to be listless, bouncing around the whole time. Is this going to really get you down? Is he going to really let you miss your purpose for your life? Your purpose isn't a destination you seek. It's a person who comes to dwell in you. It's a person who longs to see his purposes fulfilled in your life and is committed to them coming to pass. And the closer you draw, the clearer it will be. Thank you very much. And when you realize that you can trust that you're not an accident, that your life matters, you could trust that the God who thought you up has come down close to you. You can trust that the God who designed you has come to dwell within you. You can trust that he has a name and his name is Jesus and his kingdom will never end and he's committed to you because he has made his home in you. And he who created you is powerful to see the purpose for which he designed you come to pass in your life. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to back away. Why? Because no word from the Lord will ever fail because Jesus is great. He is the Son of the Most High. The Lord has given him his throne and God has, and his kingdom therefore will never end and so you can trust him. And as you start to trust him, his purpose can flourish in your life. Trust enables purpose. But also obedience establishes purpose. Now I don't know about you, but I've experienced that obedience isn't the most popular of words. We often don't like the idea of surrendering our freedom. We can tend to resist it or kind of avoid it. But the root of the word obedience means to listen well. To listen well and to respond. If, if you want to be obedient to God, you have to listen to him. Listen to him about his purposes for your life. The reasons he made you. You might have your own plans and preferences for your life, but are you willing to listen to his purposes for your life? Because Mary had plans for her life. She wanted to marry Joseph. She wanted to raise a family. She wanted to be surrounded by her extended family, you know, build a home, take her honoured place in the community. And Mary faced a great choice. She could have that and slightly more control over her destiny outside of God's purposes or face huge risk and uncertainty in God's purposes. She had a choice. We all have a choice. And we sometimes soften this story, but Mary faced a number of things. She doubtless faced the great fear of great responsibility, bearing in her womb the one who was going to save the world. I mean, that's a lot. The weight of that could crush you. The realities of being pregnant when you're not yet married in a shame and honor culture. I mean, imagine Mary going out to her parents saying, Mum, Dad, got some news? Pregnant? No, it's not Joseph's. <laughs> but it's okay. It's really good news for everyone, forever. I'm pregnant with the Savior of the world. Like, can you imagine that conversation? Like, of all the things, Mary? That's complex. You know, imagine what her extended family would be saying. Imagine what Joseph would think to go to your fiance and say, I'm pregnant. You know, if he had divorced her, that would have been it. She probably would have been alone for life. Very little income, ostracized, source of shame to her family. At that time, 
under the law, still technically at risk of being stoned for adultery. And I so admire Mary. She's one of my great heroes, young, in that context, taking the risk of obedience. Mary took the risk of the punishment of death in order to bear the one who would conquer death. She took the risk of a life of shame in order to bear the one who would take our shame away. She took the risk of wrecking her relationships with every person she loved in order that she could bear the one who would restore our relationship with the one who first loved us. And seeing it all, the risk, the cost. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Obedience feels like like a great risk. But I tell you, the greatest risk in life is to hear the Lord's voice and not respond to it. Obedience is risky, but it's the only path to true security. It might cost you. It might even mean you face a bit of trouble. But you'll never be truly free until you're prepared to bow the knee to him. The truth is sometimes finding favor with the Lord means you'll face a bit of trouble from the world. Do it anyway. Sometimes you've got to let go of your plans to take hold of his purposes. Do it anyway. Finding your purpose isn't about some kind of negotiation with God. It's about surrendering your life to God. And when God finds the God of all power and authority and might, finds a person who is fully surrendered to him, anything is possible. I had a conversation earlier today with someone whose husband has just died. It's so moving just to speak to her and to see in her eyes, in the midst of all that's going on, that faith. And it reminded me of Elizabeth Elliot, who, uh, with her husband Jim, were missionaries. And they met on the mission field. And they had this desire to see a tribe that had never heard the gospel come to know Jesus. And Jim Elliot had a first encounter with this tribe, which was relatively friendly, but then he was killed, murdered by them. And you can imagine the difficulty of her trying to respond to that. And she actually went back to that tribe and ended up spending two years with the people who had murdered her husband, ministering to them, praying for them, sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with them. And she wrote this. She said, does it make sense to pray about the future if we're not obeying God in the thing that lies before us today? How many momentous events are dependent on one person's seemingly small act of obedience? Rest assured, do what God tells you to do now and depend on it, you'll be shown what to do next. Great Acts of faith rest on small, small acts of obedience. All Mary had was her trust in God's purposes and her obedience to his voice and a willingness to take the next step. What does that look like? Well, it could look like a lot of things. It could look like coming to church when you're going through a valley and the last thing you want to do is worship God, but you, you come anyway and you praise his name, trusting that he will turn all things to good. It could mean being bold about your faith in the workplace and saying, Lord, it feels risky, it feels costly, but I don't want to deny you. So I'm going to be open about what I did at the weekend. Someone asks. I'm going to invite someone to the carols, even though that feels terrifying. 
could mean trusting him when you feel like he's saying this relationship isn't good for you and taking a step away. It could mean trusting him when you're finding it hard in your marriage and everything in you wants to walk away. But you say, no, actually, I feel like we're called together. It could mean serving faithfully a boss you find very difficult or challenging a boss you really like. It could mean refocusing your ambitions or being prepared to surrender your plans. But you have no idea of the ripples that small act of obedience might cause, the difference you might make, how it might bring great blessing to others. One of my friends I was speaking to this week, he, he moved to the city uh, from another place. He moved his family because he got a new job. And it was a, a, a really great role for him, particularly he's relatively young. And he was very excited about it, huge deal. His first week, because of his role, he has a seat on the board of directors. And he's very excited about this. First time he's been on the seat of a board of directors, da-da-da-da-da, keen to make a good impression, first week at work. And um, he gets the agenda papers through for the board meeting. And item three on the agenda, he reads and he thinks, uh-oh. Because he realizes that what they're talking about, he disagrees with. He doesn't want the company to go in that direction. And it's like an issue of integrity for him. And he says, wow, I, 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 if I'm there, I've got to say something. So he kind of gets on his knees and prays about it, just there in his office. And he felt the Lord say to him, you know, you've got to... You've got to Got to say your piece on this. So they come to the board meeting. He hasn't met some of these people before. He comes in, newest guy, sits there, around the table. Chair of the board looks out. They whip through items one and two. He's like, uh-oh. They come to item three. The chair says, well, I think this is pretty non-controversial. Should we just wave this through? Any, no one objects to this, do they? <laughs> They've never met. He says, hello, yes. Yeah. <laughs> says, oh, I'm quite new. Welcome. Uh, actually, I, I don't think this is the right thing to do. He said the person on left and right of him moved at least a foot away. <laughs> Never felt more exposed. Someone across the table from him crossed their arms. He's only been there four days. Chess says, why? So he launches into an attempt to defend his position. Chair looks a bit surprised. They take a vote, 15 to 1. Goes through. He's like, what was that about? Afterwards, everyone's having coffee. He's on his own, pretty much. <laughs> you know, kind of. He phoned me, he said, I, I think, I've, think I'm in a really difficult position. So we prayed about it. Do you know, within a week, five other members of the board had come up to him and they said, I just wanted to tell you, how much I admire your courage. So obvious, your courage to speak in your first board meeting. Chair of the board, you've obviously got integrity to take a stand like that in your first board meeting when you're still on probation. <laughs> That's admirable. He thought he was going to lose his job within a week. I can tell you, he has known extraordinary favor in the weeks and the months that have followed that small 
act of obedience. It's like it shifted something. You know, small acts of obedience attract, are like magnetic to great favor from the Lord. And they can really shift things in your workplace, in your home. I mean, look at Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. There's something, there's a reason she had found the favor she had. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Does that phrase remind you of anything? You know, Mary, who nine months later gave birth to Jesus, who raised him. She was the face he looked into as he fed as a baby. She was the one who raised him up. Doubtless told him about her encounter with the angel. But she couldn't have known at that point that 34 years later, Jesus would have been in a garden on the Mount of Olives, on his knees before his father, anticipating all that was to come, and yet praying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. As he prepares to take the throne that was promised by laying down his life for us. Yeah, Mary was the only person who was present at the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the birth of the church at Pentecost. I don't imagine it was easy to see the son she bore and raised die on a cross. But she also got to see the fruit of his sacrifice affecting the lives of tens and hundreds and thousands and millions of people. But it started with a small act of obedience. May your word to me be fulfilled. Not my will be done, but your will. And I tell you, if you want to know the Lord's purpose in your life, I dare you to pray that prayer. Lord, I long for this to happen. Lord, would you unveil your purposes for me? Lord, would you enable this? But not what I will, but what you will. Lord, I, I really need help in this area. Lord, we really trust that you could do something here. Lord, we really want to see breakthrough here, but not what I will, but what you will. Because I trust you. I know that you are for me, that you are with me, that you are in me. And no matter how it looks, this day, this week, this year, I know that your favor is for me. And you will never leave me or forsake me. And your purposes in my life will be fulfilled. In Jesus' name. Amen.